As we begin this morning, I want to express my appreciation for the opportunity to stand before you this morning to, to present a lesson to study from God's Word. The lesson that we're going to talk about this morning is a lesson that I heard preached by another gospel preacher uh, back in the early 90s, the brother Bill Hall. He's a very capable preacher. Many of you may know him, may have heard him speak. And it, it heard him in a gospel meeting in the Memphis area and got tapes of all of his lessons. He had a very he has a very uh, good ability at organizing thoughts from the scriptures uh, to bring the points that are intended there home. And I hope that we can share those this morning and draw uh, that same uh, information from our presentation this morning. In the uh, book of John, the Gospel of John, the first three verses. The record there says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now look what's contained in these first three verses, in, in this first, uh, these first three verses here. John is, is introducing the subject of his gospel. He talks about the fact that the Word was in the beginning. This Word was with God, and indeed this Word was God. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2, he associates the personal pronoun he with this Word to give it an identity. And then we're told in verse 3 that everything that was created was created through this Word, through this He. And then we drop down to verse 14 in that chapter. That passage there says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, be, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Word that He described in the first three verses, in verse 14, became flesh. And He dwelt among those that lived in that day. And they were able to behold his glory. The glory that was reserved only for the first, the only begotten son of the father. And we recognize that his subject here is Jesus. These verses and others that may come to mind remind us of God's plan. We can go back to the book of Genesis and we can look at, in the very first chapter of the Bible, we can look at the accounts there that start to describe how the worlds were created, how everything came into being. And John in his gospel, in the verses that we just looked at, have pointed to us to show us a critical role that Jesus played in that creation. In Matthew chapter 27, you may want to mark this passage because we're going to come back to this text for the rest of our lesson, back and forth to this particular passage. Beginning in verse 50, we have the account here of as Jesus is dying on the cross. After he has been falsely arrested, falsely accused, beaten, abused, and hung on the cross, we begin reading verse 50. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. We just talked about an important role that Jesus played in the creation of the world. Here, we see a more important role that Jesus played. And that is surrounding his death and ultimately his resurrection. And as Christians, we understand that. We exhibit our understanding as we've assembled here this day to offer our praise to God, to gather around this table as we just have done, to remember the sacrifice of Christ, to remember his suffering, to remembering to remember what it means to us as children of God. So what we want to do today is we want to take these things in, in, with these things in mind and we want to talk about some things that happened when Jesus died. Back in our text in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 51, the very first part of that verse says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil was torn. In Exodus chapter 25 and chapter 26, we have recorded there the instructions that God gave on the building of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. And in, in that chapter 26, we can read in verses 31 through 33 about this veil. It says, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with a cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. And you shall hang it on four pillars of, of acacia overlaid with gold, their hooks also being of gold, on four sockets of silver. And you shall hang up the veil under the clasp and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil, and the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. And then we can go back one chapter to chapter 25 and verse 22 where God says, And there I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. In chapter 10, look at Hebrews. We're going to begin reading in verse 19. But before we begin that reading, let's look at a little bit about what is being said in this chapter leading up to that verse. As the chapter begins in verse 1, he talks there about the law being a shadow of things to come. In verses 4 and 5, the writer there is reminding them that animal blood could not remove sin. But in contrast to that, in verse 10, he states that we are sanctified through Christ. And then verse 18, he talks about the fact that where there is forgiveness, 
there no longer is an offering for sin. And let's read in verse 19. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look at what is being said in this letter here. In verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by Jesus' blood. The veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies is no longer needed. At Jesus' death, it was torn. It was removed. We are told that in verse 20, that through that veil, our veil, that is through Jesus' flesh, we have access to God. We have the ability to come to the place where God is going to tell us what he would have us do. And our access is through Jesus. Because of these things, verses 21 and verse 22, because of Christ, we can draw near in full assurance of faith. Back in our text in Matthew chapter 27, the latter part of verse 51, the veil has been torn from top to bottom, and then the earth shook and the rocks were split. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer there, from verses 18 to the end of the chapter, begins to talk about some of these things. And in verses 18 through 21, he there speaks of Moses receiving the law. And that's recorded in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20. And in chapter 19 and verse 18, we have recorded there, it says, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended up, ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. Well, back in our text in, in Hebrews chapter 12, if you go down to verse 26, it says there in verse 26, And his voice shook the earth then, speaking back to the time in Exodus. His, the earth shook then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now that's a quote from the prophet in, from Haggai chapter uh, 2 and verse 6 where he prophesies there of another shaking, a shaking greater than the one at Mount Sinai. And in our text in Hebrews, we can look at verses 27 and 28, for they help us to understand what's being said here. And this expression, verse 27, yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, if you flip back to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11, we have some more insight into what's being said. We're talking about the removing of things that can be shaken, those things that are made with hands. In chapter 9 and verse 11, the writer there says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. When Christ came, he did not enter into, enter in through the old tabernacle, for that was temporary. That was, as we read a minute ago, part of the old law which was there as a shadow of things to come, to lead us into Christ. He came, he came into something that is not shakable, back into our text in chapter 12 of Hebrews, and now in verse 28, it says, therefore, we, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So this greater shaking, the one greater than that which happened in Sinai, has happened at the death of Christ. So those things that were made by man's hand are taken away and replaced with something that is greater, and that is Jesus. Back in our text in Matthew chapter 27. Look at verses 52 and 53. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The text here says that the tombs were opened, that dead saints' bodies were raised, and that after Jesus' resurrection, they entered into Jerusalem. <clears throat> we might ask the question, why did this happen? Well, I couldn't find. I don't know that we're told why it happened. But there might be some things that we can consider from some other passages that will give us a little insight. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, and begin reading in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Paul here speaking to the church at Thessalonians is trying to help them because they're grieving over their lost loved ones, those that have died. And they're worried about them. They're worried what's going to happen. Jesus comes again. What's going to happen to them? Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. He's saying don't worry. They're going to be brought along as well. And they're going to be given priority, as we're going to see here in just a minute. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You don't have to worry about them. They're going to be up there. And they're going to precede us. And then it says in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up to, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these things, with these words. Maybe the raising of these dead bodies that Christ, at the time Jesus died, and then after his resurrection, was a type of a future resurrection. Maybe this is an example 
of that type of resurrection that is to come, that we will all experience when Jesus comes again. For if, if we die before his arrival, we are certainly going to be raised from the dead to rise to heaven with him. And maybe there's another type of resurrection that it's referencing. Look in Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Just as Christ came to the cross and at his death was buried and then was raised from the dead, when we come to Christ and we submit our will to the will of the Father and we become obedient and we are baptized, we are buried with Christ in that watery grave of baptism and then we come up out of the water, how does it say at the end of verse 4? So, so we too might walk in newness of life. Back in our text in Matthew chapter 27. Now let's look at verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. When Jesus died, look at the reaction of the centurion and the other soldiers that he, that he had with him. Think about some points about these people. They were soldiers trained in the military principles of the day. And as a result of that training, they were disciplined. And they were certainly somewhat callous, probably, to the events that were happening, having seen them before, having seen other prisoners put to death. We don't know, but they may have even witnessed the trial. They may have even participated in some of the beatings that Jesus endured. Yet when Christ died, they saw the things happening around them. What does it say in the text? It says, When they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. They recognized that there was something unique here, that there was something special about this man that had died. And they recognized that he must be the Son of God. Another thing that happened when Jesus died, the Old Testament and the prophecies about Christ were fulfilled. And in fact, we can start with a, with, with a prophecy in, in, in the New Testament in, in Matthew chapter 13. And this is Jesus himself speaking in this passage. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 38. 
Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now see, see the setting here. They're asking Jesus for a sign, and yet he's been working miracles there in their midst. And Jesus says, there's not going to be a sign for you. The only sign that you're going to have is what the prophet Jonah showed. Verse 40, For just as Jonah was, in, was three days and, the, and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The only sign that they're going to have is the sign just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so is Jesus going to be in the earth for three days and three nights. And yet he's making a point to them as well that those that heard Jonah eventually repented. And that's going to stand in judgment over this generation because they are not going to repent and they have in front of them something that's greater than Jonah. They have the Son of God in front of them, and yet they're not going to hear. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. Verses 3 and 4. Paul writes here, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This passage shows us the prophecies concerning Jesus were fulfilled. That according to the Scriptures, these, these things happened just as the Scriptures said they would happen. And then we can look at Isaiah chapter 53, and we can look at many other examples in the Old Testament. But certainly the 53rd chapter speaks so much about Christ. Verse 5, But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Verses 10, 11, and 12. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. In short, when Jesus died, and then when he was raised, all scriptures were fulfilled. This morning we've talked about these things that happened when Jesus died. 
We talked about the fact that the veil was torn, that the thing that separated man from God under the old law that could only be breached by the holy priest, by the priest, had been removed and had been replaced by Christ, by His body, through His death. The earth shook, greater than what shook in Sinai when the law was given. And the tombs were opened. And then we talked about the centurion and the reaction there. The purpose has been to cover some basic principles from creation to heaven. And we've noted that Jesus was in the beginning, that he was with God, and that he, indeed he was God. That he became a man, offered that perfect sacrifice, became our entrance, our veil, and is our mediator. 